The scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Listen to my words. Lord, consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For you, for to you, I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isn't that a nice psalm? It's pretty intense. Um, We're going to talk about it, but... uh, You know, remember the Psalms are poetry and they communicate language pretty strongly. And my sense is it was pretty strongly communicated to you just now about this, these two sort of categories of either being with God or being against God. That there's kind of two places um, where David, David puts those he's speaking about. So just kind of bear with me, but we're going to, we're going to work through what all this means. And what I, what I want to kind of to set the tone of what we're doing, I want you to think about the idea of rhythm for a minute, okay? In this psalm, the psalmist is actually giving some ideas about the rhythm of what it means to follow God. If I say rhythm of life, does that mean anything to you? You know, do you see in 1969, Sammy Davis Jr. dancing? Um, I am not going to recreate that for you, uh, but it's an incredible musical. And um, when I was in high school, I had a teacher who had us go do this UIL thing you know, to compete in Denver, I think. And we dressed up and we sang, of course, some really beautiful songs, one in Latin and probably one in Italian or something. And then we took off our tuxedos and we all had these 1960s clothes on and did a rhythm of life and got, like, it's probably one of the only times in my life I've gotten a standing ovation for a performance. Um, But everyone stood up. It was an incredible experience. Well, that teacher who did that for us, her name was Mrs. White. And she was a, a, a lot of people knew her in Texas as a choir teacher. I actually asked Ray and Deborah if they knew Mrs. White. And they said, yes, they know Marty White. They knew exactly who it was. Um, she had a huge impact on people. If you, if you were to sort of trace out the students who she cared for and taught how to, like I learned how to read music with her. I learned how to sing. Um, I, I learned about dynamics. And um, she made us uh, know how to like do a little bit of music theory. Like she really invested in her students. And I personally know at least eight or ten people who have spun out just from my group of friends who have either gone into ministry and are musicians or are professional musicians in different places. Like, she had a massive impact. 
And she recently died um, from cancer, and my brother wrote a little sort of memorial to her because a bunch of people from our high school were posting about her. And this is what my brother Joey said. He said, I'm so thankful for the people God has placed in my life that have taught me invaluable lessons. Quote, practice like you're going to perform. One of the many laser-focused sayings Mrs. White pounded into my brain that I use often with my teams as I lead to this day, Joey said. I'm blessed to have known and been known by Mrs. White. I'm thankful to have been encouraged and challenged and cheered on by this great lady. I'm so humbled that Mrs. White took the time to invest in the lives of children and demonstrate what it looks like to genuinely love your craft. You are so loved. And as one of the many LCHS, which is Lakeview Centennial High School, choir kiddos, we are so thankful your family shared you with us for so many years. Mostly, Joey writes, I'm so thankful we have a hope beyond this life. I'm so looking forward to hugging your neck and singing praises next to you and to our king, and I am fully anticipating loving and encouraging direction from you as we do. Love you, Joey. You know, life has a rhythm to it. From birth to death, it has a rhythm um, that we live into rhythms. We invest in people, and it develops a rhythm in them. We read the scriptures. It develops a rhythm in how we think, and this psalm has a lot of uh, rhythmic things to it, and if you sort of begin to watch for it, you, you begin to attach to it in a really special way. What's the rhythm of this psalm? So the first idea is that the psalmist is helping us to understand the rhythm of life, and he gives us illustrations to do that. Okay, The psalmist is helping us to understand the rhythm of life. There's a creation rhythm in this psalm of day and night. Psalm 4 that we looked at last week is a night psalm. Okay, David says in verse 8 of Psalm 4, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And then in Psalm 5, verse 3, In the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you. Night and day. A creational rhythm that the psalmist is accessing poetically in the context of the scriptures to sort of help us step into this reality, which should not be a shock to you. Day and night happen rhythmically, over and over again. Whether you believe in God or not, you cannot deny that there is a rhythm to creation. Night and then day. Seven days a week, hopefully, you go to sleep. Um, you know, I dropped off both my kids in College Station now officially, so it might be six or five, but in general, it's seven times a week that we go to sleep and we wake up. There's a rhythm. And while we're sleeping, God is sustaining creation. Lizards are being born. Puppies are being born. Things are beginning to happen. Stars are being sustained all while you are in your slumber. And you wake and you discover that the God of heaven and earth continues to care for it. That he has this power that is so much more grand than our own that he actually sets the rhythms of creation. That's who God is. Night and day. One author put it this way. There is grace embedded in the earth's rotation. Now, the point isn't that I want you to worship nature. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... If you look around and you see rhythms in the universe, it's not because they accidentally landed that way. God actually put rhythms into our lives. You know, physically, we understand that rhythm. We go to sleep and we wake up. And remember, the Psalms are poetry. There's metaphors. You're actually being invited to consider this idea of have you gone to sleep spiritually or are you awake spiritually? Have you awakened, as the psalmist puts it here, to the light of your salvation? Or are you asleep? Where are you in this rhythm? So there's a night and day rhythm. There's a creation rhythm. He also talks about a rhythm that yields life 
and a rhythm that yields death. There's a rhythm that he talks about, and he describes this group of people who live in this rhythm, and they're called the wicked. What's not being said here in the Psalms is that we need to ferret out who the wicked people are and who the good people are and do all of these things that we're reading here to the wicked, like push them there. Because if you start to do that, what you discover is that every single person is actually wicked in our own ways. Remember Romans, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that sin is something we're born into. You know, the, the Christians, it's why it's, it's, uh, it's so confusing when Christians act self-righteous. Because to be Christian means you believe that the God of heaven and earth had to bow his knees, had to die, so that we could be free. We should be the most humble and gracious of people. So then what on earth is David doing here with talking about the destination of the wicked and the destination of the righteous? Well, what he's saying is, is that if the rhythm of your life, if the rhythm of the way in which you live is like what you read in verses 4 and 6, it's a rhythm of wickedness. And it always and every time a rhythm of wickedness leads to death. And then in verses 7 to 8, there's a destination of the righteous, which is a term for living toward God's ways. You know, living towards his calling upon us. Arrogance, pride, injustice, lies, bloodthirsty. It talks about those things in this psalm. All of those things, every single time, lead to the opposite of what God has for us. They lead toward wickedness. Now, our hearts tell us other things. How often does vengeance feel like exactly the right emotion? Well, well, in some ways it is, but we entrust God with that. This is a different kind of vengeance. This is a bloodthirsty kind of vengeance. Under the protective care of God's love and affection, we read in verses 7 and 8 and following, that as we bow before him, what happens? There's a straight path given to us. And that idea of straight path doesn't mean that you now no longer have to think about anything. You just kind of walk forward aimlessly. The point is, is that God makes your way passable. He makes it possible. And so there's, there's the destination of the wicked and the destination of the righteous. And the psalmist is asking us to consider ourselves what destination, where are we headed? You've ever seen a mother warn a child about something? Like, oh, don't do that. Most of the time, the mother's not doing that because they, what their goal is is just to sap the joy of their child. I just want to make sure you don't have a good day, so don't do that. That's usually not what's going on. Normally, a mother or a father who loves their children says, don't do this because it's going to lead to something really bad for you. You know, I've probably told you this story if you haven't heard it, but when I was young, I used to love the smell of lemons. I took a big old drink of Lysol. My mom had warned me not to do that. It did not go well with me. It was horrible. I had to drink a gallon of milk. I'm not even sure it was a good idea. God is giving us insight here and saying, hey, there's a way that leads to life. There's a destination that leads to life. There's a rhythm that leads to life. And there's a rhythm that leads elsewhere, a rhythm that leads to death. A rhythm that leads to a place where if you knew where it led you, you would not want to go. God's inviting us to wake up to who he is, that his ways lead to life. Psalm 42 says this, By day the Lord directs his, us in his love, at night his song is with me. Have you awakened to that reality? Are you listening in the rhythms of your life to wonder if God is speaking? God has embedded rhythms into our world. Physically, spiritually, um, and the psalmist, as you read this, is asking you to consider what rhythm are you dancing to when it comes to the way in which you live and what you're really trusting. Is it a rhythm that leads to wickedness? Is it a rhythm that leads to life? Okay, secondly, the psalmist wants us to understand God's rhythm specifically. What is God's rhythm? 
In verse 9, we read this. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. You know, the psalmist is laying that out because he's saying this is exactly opposite of, of who God is. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they tell lies. The psalmist is not saying, hey, you have one or two options. You can be a really wicked person. That works out well. You can be a really righteous person. That works out well. He's saying, no, our God is a God of truth. He's not a God who lies. He's not a God whose ways lead to destruction. He's a God who offers us his promises that are never full of malice, but are always full of life. I want you to imagine you go to dinner, and it's, it's a, your favorite restaurant, and your waiter comes up and says, hey, we got a special today for you. Are you ready for this? This is an incredible meal you're, you're going to enjoy. Once you eat it, you are never going to need to eat another meal. It is going to fill you in such a way that you will never be hungry again. And the, it's on sale. And so you get the meal and you go to bed that night and you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm mildly hungry. This is weird. Because it, the waiter promised me I would not be hungry. And by noon, you're really questioning him. And by breakfast the next day, you're either starving or you've eaten again because it was a lie. That, that's what the psalmist is, is talking to us about. The ways of the wicked, whatever they might promise, whatever it might promise, is actually a way that leads to great dissatisfaction. It leads to disorientation. It leads to chaos and a truncated existence. To think to yourself, I'm not going to trust God's ways. I'm going to trust another way. I'm not going to dance to God's rhythm. I'm going to dance to my own rhythm. It's a rhythm that leads to the wicked. Our God is a God of truth, or a God, a God of truth who tells us, this is who I am. Trust in me. He's also a God of life. The psalmist uses this imagery of, an, of their throat is an open grave. That's a really tough one. Like, I don't think I've ever thrown that at anybody before. Like, that's a rough one. Your throat is like an open grave. Nothing but death comes out of it. Our God, however, is not that. He's the opposite. Out of him comes life. Their throat is an open grave. It's imagery that's meant to communicate to us. There's really no room for interpretation. If someone's throat is an open grave, it's, it's just not something you ever want to trust. It's a lie. It's deceitful. It's the opposite of what God has for us. It leads to death. God's ways lead to life. Can you imagine if the Woodlands came up with a new uh, playground idea? We're going we're gonna to put a graveyard in the middle of the Woodlands, and we're going to put fun swings all around it. It's going to be a great place for you and your children to hang out. You can jump off of tombstones and you can go inside little tombs and stuff and put a stone over it and pretend. Like, that doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. Our God is a God of life. His words are not from the throat of an open grave. His words are always trustworthy and true. He's a God of life. He's a God of truth. He's a God of life. He's also a God of justice. Now, the psalmist does a really good character sketch. If you read verses 4, 5, 6, 10, it does a character sketch of what it would mean to be a God who is unjust or to be a people who are thoroughly unjust. He's a God of justice. He doesn't love wickedness. He's not pleased with it. It bothers him. He hates wrongdoing and lies. Isn't that good news? God doesn't feel like using lies to accomplish his purposes is a good thing. He's a God who hates wrongdoing. He hates lies. He detests bloodthirst or vengeance. He's opposed to the untruth. He hates injustice. 
And what does God do with that? He promises to ultimately make all things new. Verse 12, surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. God doesn't invite us into his truth and into his life and into his justice for any other reason than this, out of his deep love for us, because he knows when we live in his life and in his truth and in his justice, the result is blessing. The result is like being surrounded by his shield. How do we learn to believe that? Well, that's the journey of faith. To begin to believe that God is who he says he is, which can be really difficult to do sometimes. Because sometimes life is super tough. Very, very difficult. And we begin to ask the question, well, if God is just, and God is true, and God's ways bring life, then how do you explain and fill in the blank? You know, last night, Jamie and I got a phone call about a young man in our neighborhood that we know and he died, last, he died last night. And we sat there just in utter sadness that this 16-year-old had died. We live in a world where death is. How can God be good? And how can God be just? And how can God be a God of life when those sorts of things seem to just make their way into our lives? What, what do we do with that? There are several responses. One response is this. That God is not in control. He either can't engage or for some reason won't engage, but he's not able to push back the darkness, and that's why bad things happen. That's one response, and it's one people have had throughout the ages. Another response, because God doesn't care. God's got power. He set the sun in its place. He set the stars and the moon. He did the whole rhythm thing you're talking about, but he doesn't love or care enough about me to engage in my deep, sadness he hasn't pushed death back for whatever and both of those responses though reasonable aren't actually what the scriptures tell us is the truth about why the world is broken and why it's messed up and what the ultimate result of it is what we read in the scriptures is that God is faithful and that the world is in need of redeeming what lengths do you think God is willing to go to to ultimately remove all that is wicked? He'll sacrifice even his own son. See, the narrative for us as Christians is that in the face of death, God says, yes, but it does not have the last word. In the face of our deepest struggles, God says, yes, that is an intense struggle, and it will not have the last word. I will be with you. I will make your path passable. I'll be with you in the midst of this. However, even that answer doesn't make us feel much better, right? I mean, it's good, that God's in, it's good that God is in control. It's good that God cares. It's good that God has a rhythm for our lives. And if we trust him, it leads to life. And if we don't trust him, it's not a surprise because he's warned us it leads to wickedness. It leads to destruction. What do we do with the dissonance between our sense of needing a God, an answer from God and the answers God gives us. What do we do with that dissonance? Look, the human soul has needed to deal with that since we've existed. Isaiah chapter 55 says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and your thoughts than my thoughts. Part of what God is saying is, you're right. It's as horrible as it seems, but understand this. I have made a way for even that horrible thing that's bringing dissonance into your life to at best have an expiration date. It will not last. 
It shouldn't surprise us that there are things about what happened in our world and what happened with who God is that we can't quite get our heads wrapped around. The book of Deuteronomy, which was written thousands of years ago, says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of the law. When your heart doubts, when your heart hurts, when you struggle, hear this. Your God is present with you in the midst of it and says the resurrection ultimately is going to bring you comfort. But this is going to hurt for now. And my grace is going to be present with you in the midst of it. I am the God of life. I am the God of truth. I am the God of justice. In my, in my own mind, I hear that at times and I think, okay, well, I don't know. We'll consider the alternatives. The psalmist warns you about the alternatives. The Aryan cannot stand in God's presence. All those who do wrong ultimately will be destroyed. Bloodthirsty means to be deceitful before the Lord. But, verse 7, I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. That's God's response to us, even in our deepest struggles. Not that they don't matter. Not that they're not significant. In fact, the God of life and the God of truth and the God of justice shows up and says, listen, look at me. Trust in me. What I'm telling you is my ways are always true. They're always good. And our hearts voice a, a difference at times. Jeremiah reminds us, our hearts are deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? You know, When we're faced with the choice to trust our heart or to trust in God's word, it, it, that's a real battle. And God invites us into being in rhythm with who he is. So, so what's it mean for us to live in rhythm with that? What does it mean for us to sort of take that in and live in rhythm with the message that God's giving us here? Three ideas, quickly. One, we see it in verse 1 and verse 7, to communicate with God, to pray. Verse 1, listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. Verse 7, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. Part of how we foster an understanding of God's love for us, especially when we need to hear it most, is by communicating with God. Verse 1, go to your king. Voice your fears. Voice your doubts. Voice your frustrations. If no one's ever told you this, I'm happy. I'm so glad to tell you this. God can handle your doubts. God can handle your anger. God can handle your fears. Go to your king and communicate with him. He hears you. Verse 3, if you awake to his grace, then the time to go to him is now. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. Yes, the psalmist is saying you should get up and do your devo in the morning. Sure. What it's really saying is when, when light shines on whatever it is you're facing, go to the Lord. Go to him. The only one who will not lie to you. The only one who will absolutely deal with you in truth and justice and life. The only one who will do that Go to him in the morning. Verse 7, come into his house, his holy temple. The moment you cry out to the king of heaven and earth, he rushes to respond. He rushes toward you. So pray. Communicate. That's, that's beginning to learn the dance steps to walking in rhythm with who God is. Secondly, sacrifice. Verse 3, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Now, there's imagery here of sacrifice in the temple. We read later about it in verse 7. 
going into God's house, going into his place, and giving him a sacrifice. I lay my request before you. What qualifies for the kind of request you can bring to God? Yours. Lay my request before you. The psalmist lays out his request as sort of a sacrifice to God. And the thing about a sacrifice, it's something we give, yes, but it's also something we leave. And God takes it and he does something with it. He either uses it to do Uh, to give to someone else or he uses it to accomplish something else or he uses it as even an aroma of who he is and what he's doing. Part of what it means for us to be in step with who God is is to go to him in prayer, to sacrifice even our request to him. And as we make our sacrifice to him, he hears it. He responds to it. The psalmist says, in the morning I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Part of the spiritual discipline for us as those who follow Jesus and seek to know him is that we are a people of expectation. We pray and then we ask God to work and we engage, of course, but there is a portion of what it means for us to trust him and to lay our request before him and to say, Lord, I'm leaving this with you. I'm watching for your response. That theme is repeated throughout the scriptures in the newer and the older testament of making our sacrifice to God through our request and to watch to see how he'll respond. How will God respond? Let me tell you something. He will respond with something that is in 100% sync with, are you ready? Truth, love, and justice. If we make our request to him, he will respond with truth, love, and justice. You never have to wonder if he's going to have a shade off on that. It's always going to be divine love and divine justice and divine life that he's offering to us as we lay our request before him. So getting in step with who God is, getting in sync with the rhythm of his grace and his mercy to communicate with him first. Secondly, to, to sacrifice those requests. And then, of course, as I mentioned, to watch. In verse 8, uh, the psalmist watches by looking to the Lord's leading. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Lead me. You know, if you pray, if you engage with God, he's going to invite you to something. He's going to invite you into something like, and this one gets tough, forgiveness. He's going to invite you into being gracious. He's going to invite you into a spirit of gratitude. You know, I I always know my wife is is hitting on something really close to my heart when she says, man, you're complaining a lot. I'm like, hmm. I'm living as if there's only things to complain about. You know, God invites us into gratitude. He invites us into learning to follow him. The psalmist says um, he watches and takes refuge in God's faithfulness. Where can you take refuge when you have questions that God doesn't answer in ways you want him to answer them? Where can you take refuge? God's justice, God's truth, and God's life. There's actual refuge found there. The, the thing for us, and this is really tough for us in this culture, our, God does not answer in the scriptures every single question your heart can come up with. It just, it doesn't. And anyone who tells you that that's how it works, that God's kind of like a genie and you can just find every answer to every question you can come up with in the Bible, that's a lie. What God does is he gives us answers to the questions our hearts most need answered. And I don't like that answer if I'm honest. I'd really rather have like, you know, a magic eight ball or something. Where I can ask God questions, he gives me very specific questions for the the things that I think I need answers to. But even in that, 
God invites us to faith, to take our request before him and say, Lord, this is a tough one. Be gracious to me. Or maybe, Lord, I'm trying to figure out how to raise my kids. I'm trying to figure out uh, an opportunity. I'm trying to understand how to respond to a social situation. I'm sure everybody's thinking about that. Help me to be a person who follows you because you're a God of life and justice and truth. And I want to be right in the square center of that. Help me to understand what it means to follow you. I'm going to make this request and lay it before you and leave it with you to do something. You know, if we try to, do, if we try to approach God in any other way, it's like trying to dance out of step with music. You ever go to a wedding? I love seeing children dance at weddings. They don't care what the rhythm is at all. They'll spin around in circles. They'll, you know, break into a hip-hop dance or something, and it's not a hip-hop song. Like, they don't care. Whatever rhythm they want. And there's such joy there. But there's also something really powerful and beautiful about watching a band put together a rhythm and watching the groom and the bride dance to it right in sync with that music. And you think to yourself in that moment, wow, they're in rhythm with one another. You know, God's inviting us into his rhythm, not because he wants to sap our joy and not because he has some kind of ulterior motive. God's inviting us into his presence because he loves us that perfectly and that deeply. God knows that what you really need in your heart of hearts is his justice. And what you need is his life. And what you need is his truth. And the justice that he meted out on our behalf upon Christ so that we could be forgiven and know that before God we stand righteous. All of that's ours by grace and through faith. And God invites us into it. And so as you go about this week, read Psalm 5. Assess the own wickedness in your heart. Consider where it is maybe you could follow him more because his ways lead to life and he makes it possible through his son. Let me pray for us as we approach the table together. Lord, we do give you thanks that you are gracious to us, that you are a God of justice, that you are a God of life, that you are a God of truth. Would you give us grace to trust in Christ and what he's done for us enough to begin to lean into that rhythm, that you would sync us up with your mercy.